nothing personal word of the day it is tuesday november 14th 2023 and we are not going to start this show talking about charlie sheen we're going to start this show talking about shohei otani there is quite a bit of baseball news to get to but i got to start with otani because he is the story of the offseason every day it's a different rumor you've got all the baseball insiders jumping all over each other what are you hearing let's do another article about possible destinations what are the books saying? Oh, Dodgers are the favorite. Here come the Cubbies. They're not going to sign counsel for all that money when they don't think they can get Otani. The Red Sox are a real possibility. No, no, the Braves would be intriguing. What about West Coast, Mariners, Giants, Angels? But the Dodgers are the number one, aren't they? So everybody's looking for scraps. And that's all it is, is scraps. So I want to give you some insight into what is going on actually in this free agent derby that Otani is currently riding. He has said from the beginning that he is interested in being on a contender. That's very sweet. It's adorable, actually. I'm very happy for him. I want him to be on a contender because for baseball, we, they must have him play in October. We know that better for the game. There is a long list of players who will say to you, I just want to win, baby. Generally, the people who mean that are the people at the end of their careers who have made all their money, who will then go on a ring drive. Clyde Drexler went on a ring drive. Charles Barkley went on a ring drive. There's some baseball players, I'm sure, that have done that when they choose where to sign if they haven't won a World Series ring. And this is not me being cynical. This is me having been in a room negotiating with agents and talking to players. They may tell you that that's the only thing on their mind, but what they're not saying is that the value of the contract, the average annual value, the total number of dollars, the location, family, comfort, spring training sites. There are myriad factors that come into play for free agents who have choices. Most of the free agents who we won't even talk about on this show, middle relievers, fourth outfielders, bench players, maybe a four starter, they tell their agent, I'll play anywhere from Korea to Cleveland get me the most money you can. That is what they should be doing because their careers are short and they're done earning that type of money before they hit 35 years old. So I absolutely don't begrudge it and I happen to agree with it from a business standpoint. When you already have the guaranteed contract and you've made 200, 300, $400 million, the choices become easier because you're able to select based on what you, your family, yourself, location, what do you like, who do you like, friends, family, Romans, countrymen. Shohei Otani has not made his money yet. 
He needs to get a huge free agent deal wherever it comes from. And everything was lining up perfectly for him to get $500 million, 10 years, biggest contract ever, rest of his career, no problem. And then his arm almost fell off. He had a second Tommy John surgery, which they're still not calling a Tommy John surgery. His doctor came out and said, he's missing a year, cannot, will not pitch next year. Boy, that smells like Tommy John, but he can hit no problem. So any team going after Shohei is trying to figure out as we've discussed, and I need to reiterate it, the reason why it's taking time, and I said it wouldn't happen before the new year, Rumors are out that it could happen very quickly. He may be ready to sign at the winter meetings. Major League Baseball is highly incentivized as are its teams to put out word to you, the fan, that all these signings are gonna happen during the winter meetings. Teams are encouraged. If you know you've got a deal done, hold it. Do the big press conference at the winter meetings. It's about owning that week. If you're Major League Baseball within the NFL season and the NBA season, it's wanting big news, big names, big contra contracts happening during the winter meetings. So of course you're gonna hear a rumor, he may sign by at the winter meetings. Then John Morosi came out yesterday and said, Shohei Otani is less concerned about geography and now is prioritizing competitiveness. Great because he said that he wants to play for a contender because the view was that he signed with the angels because of location and geography. I wonder whether there are any other teams that were in a position to sign Otani that are just as close to Japan as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I can't think of one, but off the top of my head, I mean, if there were a second team in LA, that would be pretty amazing. And I think the flying time from Seattle, yeah, probably. No, San Francisco, no. San Diego, oh, those are not even close to Anaheim. I mean, give me a break, would you? I remember very well when Otani was coming out. We all opened up money in our international signing bonus budget to give to him. It was a set amount. There was a maximum you could give, and we were all ready to give it. He was West Coast, we knew it. We were told on the East Coast, no thank you, he's staying on the West Coast. So let's say geography played a factor and that he only wanted West Coast. That doesn't mean that he only wanted the Angels, but now he's been with the Angels for all these years. There's a level of comfort, there's a level of understanding. You know the route to the stadium, you know the clubbies, you know the coaching staff, you know your teammates you know the home clubhouse, it just feels right. Does that mean the Angels are in position to get him? I maintain that they are, but we'll see. I already have a way to see, but we'll see. But then yesterday, another media person said, no, no, we have an Otani update. He may be open to a short-term deal. Ladies and gentlemen, when players say they are open to a short-term deal with a lot of AAV, does that sound familiar? Correa, does it sound familiar? Harper, rumored. He would take $50 million a year. The Dodgers offered him 50 a year for three years, Trevor Bauer. 
owners are told sign a player to a shorter amount, but to a larger value. So if you can get a player for 150 over three years, get it because it's better than paying 40 million a year for eight years. That would be 320. Give a guy 60 million a year for two years. The union doesn't like that. The reason the union doesn't like deals like that, what used to be called pillow deals, when you put a player into a place because no one will sign him and you just settle for a one-year deal, Correa in Minnesota two years ago, those deals that are at market are because the player overestimated his market. Those deals that are over market, meaning that teams will pay a premium to get a shorter amount, that's because there's a problem with the player. And the union doesn't want to acknowledge problems with the player. So what they have morphed into are long-term deals with early opt-outs, where they say to the player, take the security of the 10 years, 400 million, know that you can opt out after a year and that you can start again if in fact you become better and can earn more next year. You've seen players this year opt out everywhere. George Soler a year ago couldn't opt out. He stunk, he had a good year, all of a sudden he opts out. And the Marlins are wondering why it's good to have an opt out. Don't wonder, it's bad. A player like Eduardo Rodriguez of the Detroit Tigers. All those issues, they tried to trade him. He opts out. He had three years left on his deal and he's gonna try to beat that and will beat that in free agency. We've told you that players use the opt out only when they've been tampered with and do the tampering and find out what they're gonna get from someone else. Shohei Otani has to negotiate with teams with two things in mind. One, and only he can decide this. Does he want a higher value next year just to hit? Or does he want lower cash next year, but longer term contract guaranteed that pays him like a pitcher starting in 25? Is there a team that will give him such a contract? Is there a team stupid enough to pay him like a pitcher starting in 25? David, that's not silly. What are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. What guarantee is there as you sit here today that Otani will go back to being a top of the rotation starter? The number of pitchers who after two Tommy Johns returned to top form, not many, Evaldi's one, not many. Why would any team sign him as though he's a top of the rotation pitcher when he's not currently that? You pay him as a hitter and you promise to pay him as a pitcher if he pitches and if he pitches well and if he pitches long. Because before he got hurt, the way the teams looked at it is they said, we'll go 10 years, 50 million a year, and we'll assume the last four years he'll only hit but we'll get six years of him pitching, 10 years of him hitting. I can easily explain that away. Now it's not so easy. And the whole concept of Otani saying, oh, I wanna go where it's competitive. The only way that works is on a short-term deal. And you can choose a team for a year that you think their moment is now. There's a player, a, a good friend, and I do talk about him on the show from time to time, and I'm gonna talk about him again. Giancarlo Stanton, 
Giancarlo Stanton signed a $325 million contract with the Marlins and he wanted to win a World Series. And after I left, the new regime traded Stanton with the no trade clause. He would only go to either New York or LA because he felt those two teams were the most likely to win a World Series, if not guaranteed. The Yankees have not won a World Series. And it's not because of Stanton. It's hard to win a World Series. It's hard to choose a team and say, oh, this is the team that's going to get me to the promised land. So Tani is going to have to figure that out. We will be monitoring the story, but you'll smile now every time you see it. All of the insiders with the new Otani rumors of the day. You know, speaking of Stanton, something happened yesterday that I can't believe I missed this or it just hadn't been made public. I didn't realize Brian Cashman, the GM of the Yankees, had spoken at the GM meetings that were cut short early. Maybe he was sick with the stomach flu. Don't wish that upon him, but that is the only explanation. Brian Cashman had some comments about Giancarlo Stanton. He said, we try to limit the time he's down, speaking of Stanton, but I'm not going to tell you he's going to play every game next year because he's not. He's going to wind up getting hurt again more likely than not because that seems to be part of his game. But I know that when he's right and healthy, other than this past year, the guy's a great hitter and has been for a long time. I was almost stopped in my tracks. The first thing I wanted to do was call Brian and ask whether he was okay. One F-bomb and one front page of the post and one rant, one rave, I can say that's frustration. That may be a bad shrimp. But when you start acting differently in front of the media, it means that you have hit your limit. Brian Cashman is at his limit at the moment. And if the Yankees do not have a better year in 24 than they had in 23, it will be impossible for Hal Steinbrenner to continue with the status quo. I'd like you to imagine the phone call that Cashman had to make to Giancarlo yesterday. Because if he didn't make that call, then Cashman is not the Hall of Fame general manager that I know he is. And the reason why Cashman had to make a call is whenever something comes out that you have spoken about a player, you have to call that player. Because in the old days, we could say, oh, no one will pick it up. We can just let it go. Let's monitor the papers tomorrow, see if it got picked up. See if the AP picked it up. That's the way that it would end up in newspapers around the country. It's done. Once social media has it, it's everywhere. And the players, like your employees, may claim, oh, we don't read it, we don't see it, don't know. They all see it, they all know. And if they didn't see it directly, someone calls them. A friend would say, hey, gee, can you believe what Cash just said about you? Hey, man, I didn't see it. All right, let me read it to you. He said, what? Bring, bring. Hey, gee, it's Brian. Hey. I was just sick, frustrated. Listen, we love you. You're here. We've got a team that can win. We need you as part of that team. We know you're taking care of yourself. We're hoping for a, a better year. You know you weren't satisfied with the way you hit last year, but keep working hard on your body and staying healthy. We love you. We love you. We love you. You've got to try to cover it up. And the reason you have to cover it up now 
is you don't want to go into spring training, which you may think is far away, but when you're a baseball team, today is actually a deadline to protect players from what's called the Rule 5 draft. That's when you add young players to your 40-man roster, and that means they're your players. There are certain players who, if you don't add to your roster, are eligible to be plucked like almost an expansion draft by every other team, and it's called the Rule 5 draft. Literally, it's Rule 5 of the rule book. It's a draft, if you will, where teams get to take as many players as they want off another team's organization as long as they're not on the 40-man roster. The only rule is you have to put them on your 40-man roster and then keep them all year on your roster. Because if you don't, then they get offered back to the team that lost them. The point is there's that deadline today to add to your roster. We're heading into the winter meetings, the Rule 5, and once you get to Christmas and the calendar turns, our view was the season was starting because we were starting to get spring training, get the schedules ready, get the full roster invites ready. You're in January, and before you know it, you're mid-February and spring training started. You can't wait if you're Cashman to see Giancarlo in Tampa because players don't forget. There's one thing that's for sure when you are an employer and your employees, if you say something about your employee, they're gonna remember it because they're gonna file it away if they don't see you every day. The minute they see you for the first time, it will get into their head. So you've got to get in front of that. I just can't figure out what made Cashman say it. And the answer is not that it's true because executives don't say things because they're true. They say things with an agenda, with a purpose, with a reason. And there's no way that Cash thought that this would incentivize Stanton, that this would make him work harder and go all Sylvester Stallone and start running up the stairs in Philly. It was just gonna make him angry. He's 34 years old, he doesn't wanna hear that. He's had a Hall of Fame trajectory career. He's 90 homers or so away from 500. I would like to have been on that phone call. Jill phone call I also would have liked to be on. I, I would have enjoyed it. Just as the baseball executive in me and as the interested observer in me. The phone call that went from Craig Council to Mark Antonazio. Hey, Mark, it's Craig. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love you, man. Love you. I'm not going to take the deal. I'm not going to stay with the Brewers. Oh, that's fine, man, you deserve this. You've worked your butt off for years. This is your moment. Well, I appreciate that, I really do. And uh, turns out I'm gonna go to the Cubs, click. That's the end of that phone call. Council met the media yesterday, yes he did. And what do you think? The first question would have been if you are interviewing in a scrum Craig Council, you're going to say, hey, just curious here, could the Brewers maybe have done something to keep you? And did you think about the reaction that you'd get in Milwaukee? Craig Council knew this was coming, and this was his answer. Like, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I was having kind of feelings of like, when am I going to do something different? What's the next challenge? Um, for a while, um, and and so, 
there's no, I don't think there's a right answer to that and an easy answer to that. Um, you know, we got to this point. Um, you know, a, a, an incredible opportunity was put in front of me. Um, one that kind of answered a lot of the things that had been running around in my head for a long, for, for a little bit. Um, and, and so the decision was made. Please tell me you noticed right at the end, things that had been in my head for a long little time. He misspoke because he was telling the truth right at that moment. Do you think for one second that the story that they're trying to make you believe that Jed Hoyer picked up the phone on November 1st, the day after his contract expired, the day after he was a quote unquote free agent and said, hey, Craig, it's Jed, just curious. Would you like to have dinner at my home, please? It's preposterous. You think that Craig Council is telling you the truth when he says, yeah, it wasn't the Cubs were not even in my head until I got that call and that offer was presented to me. Oh yeah, never. Here's what actually happened. The Chicago Cubs not only offered him the $8 million a year for five years, an outrageous amount for a manager, but they offered him what he really wanted is Chicago, where his kids can stay in high school in Milwaukee. He totally underestimated what the reaction would be in Milwaukee where he's finished, done. And the answer that he comes up with, knowing that he's got to be better is, oh, I don't know. Well, Craig, luckily nothing personal is here for you. And I'm gonna tell you exactly how that interview should have gone. When you are introduced as the Cubs manager, you don't wait for the scrum after. The first thing you say, and if Ricketts won't let you, do it anyway. What's he gonna do, fire you? Thank you all for being here. Let me start off by telling you, I'm Milwaukeean. Milwaukee's my home. It will always be my home. The years I spent in Milwaukee as a manager were the best years of my life. The chance to manage my hometown team is, was a dream come true. I don't have one bad thing to say about anyone in that organization, any player I've ever had, all the fans, the sponsors. I loved my life every single day. All of that said, I was a free agent and I wanted to get the most money I could. And the Cubs offered me $8 million a year with an opportunity to stay in the community that I love, which is Milwaukee. Who among you would not have chosen that? My heart remains in Milwaukee. My charity remains in Milwaukee. I will retire in Milwaukee. But in Chicago, I'm here to do a job and I will embrace this job as you would expect me to representing Wisconsin. And I will do my hardest, work my hardest to have the Cubs win. The Brewers will always be in my heart, but the Cubs are in my present. That's it. It's not that hard. And you do it once and then you move on. You move on to being the manager of the Cubs. But for whatever reason, he and Jed Hoyer, their president of baseball operations decided, let's stick with the story that I only spoke to after November 1st. 
And let's stick to the story because I'm getting a lot of heat for firing David Ross and hiring you that, hey, it was an opportunity that I really had to look at. And then I'm going to say that it never even occurred to me that he'd be a manager again. I thought he's so good that he'd want to be a general manager somewhere else. Let's just make sure we have quotes everywhere that are mea culpa to Chicago, to the Cubs, to Ricketts, and to you, Craig. And the problem is they're trying so hard that they all look disingenuous. They all look like they're lying to you. And there's no reason when the truth was good enough. The Brewers are rebuilding. The Brewers weren't gonna pay a manager $8 million. There was no reason to. They just promoted their bench coach who worked under council for a million and a half. That's the going rate, new manager Mendoza got it. Murphy got it in Milwaukee, you pay a million and a half. Believe me, that's a lot less than eight. Even I can do that math. Just be honest. And I wish I could go back and tell my president self that because it just sounds better. And fans would get that more than the eye rolling they do with the poppycock statements that come out of everybody's mouth every day. Though, might I add, thank God, because without that, would we not have enough to talk about? I think we actually would. The second thing that he had to workshop Craig Council, and I'm gonna give him a word of advice because it's not too late, but it may be too late, about the fan reaction. He said, I'm very proud of what happened in Milwaukee. I think time will look favorably on what was accomplished in those nine years that I was manager there. So the negative reaction is there and it's real and I understand it, I do. I think time will help. So had he hired a crisis PR person, because that was a crisis, when asked about the hurt and how people are doing and writing ass on the sign in Whitefish Bay, which is not a suburb of Milwaukee that you would expect that to happen, but that shows you the hurt. Whitefish Bay was his school, by the way. It's a, uh, a really good area, good neighborhood. How about if he had said the following instead? I am so sorry. I was so clumsy in making this move that it made it look as though I was not being loyal or straightforward with the great fans and the people of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I absolutely understand your frustration and anger and you should feel that way because of the way I did this. I want to try to help you understand why, and I respect if you will not forgive me, but at least I want you to hear me. That's all he had to do. And then explain $8 million a year, family considerations. I wouldn't expect the Brewers to pay $8 million for a manager, and I wouldn't expect you to not want me to make 8 million because I want to make 8 million. And I'm trying to get all the manager salaries up. That's horse hockey, not going to happen. He went for himself. Good for him. I don't begrudge people getting as much money as they can. So don't misunderstand. This is not me criticizing counsel for taking the Cubs job at all. This is me telling you that he did it in the single worst, most clumsy way possible. All right, we come back, we're gonna review the new Sylvester Stallone documentary, and then we are finally gonna get to Espada 
and I'm going to end the show with a little Zion. You're going to want to wait for that. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for rating, reviewing, for hitting subscribe on the YouTube channel you're currently watching on because we're live every day, 8 a.m. Eastern, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. The davidsampsonpodcast.com, it is about to be holiday time. Next week is Black Friday, and we're going to have sales of merchandise in the shop, davidsampsonpodcast.com. So if you're thinking of buying, don't buy today. Can you imagine store proprietor actually saying that? Well, it's the new me. Don't buy today, buy next week. You'll be happy. We're gonna have good discounts. All right, I watched the documentary about Sylvester Stallone. If you don't know that Sylvester Stallone is one of the most prolific and successful actors and writers of my generation and yours, then you don't know the Sylvester Stallone story. He is the head of not just one franchise iconic, but two, Rocky and Rambo. There's a documentary about his move out of Florida into New York. And the background of the documentary is him being interviewed as his house is being packed up. I liked the documentary. I liked learning about Stallone. I didn't know a lot about his childhood. I didn't realize what made him write Rocky to start with. He was the writer of that. But what was off-putting to me is the level of narcissism. And believe me, I'm all in on a good narcissist. The entire house that was being packed up during this documentary were sculptures of him were potteries of him, images of him, totally surrounded by nothing but him. Now, I'm okay. There's a lot of things around here. I think I have a picture with Coca behind me. My jersey's behind me. The sparky jersey I wore when we won the World Series to the parade. 
it's totally reasonable to have bits from your career. I love that. But you know how when it's just too much and it's sort of like, what's the definition of pornography? I don't know, but I know it when I see it. That's how I feel about this. What's too much? I don't know exactly, but I know it when I see it and I saw it in this documentary. That's reason enough to watch it. Of course, there's other reasons that it's actually compelling to learn about his life and his story, because it's a good story. It's called Sly, check it out. Back in 2010, God, that's 13 years ago, we hired a coach by the name of Joe Espada, and he was with us for several years, I wanna say four years. And he then went on to become the bench coach in Houston, and he spent many years working behind Dusty Baker. And now Joe Espada is the manager of the Houston Astros. I've been telling you that he was the manager in waiting. He interviewed for a bunch of jobs. And when he took himself out of consideration this offseason, that was because he knew that Baker was gone and he knew that he was getting the Houston job. When he stayed in Houston before the start of last season, he knew he was the next to get the Houston job. It is very common, actually, for a team with an old manager to say to one of its coaches, if that's the direction they're gonna go, that that's the direction they're gonna go. So here's a little hint. If you're not told that you're the guy or the girl, then you're not the guy or the girl. Because we need you to know so you work harder to keep your position and you don't go anywhere, anywhere else to do your job. So all of the comments that you heard in the Espada press conference about Dana Brown, what an important hire, and he let me do it, not Jim Crane, it's absolute horse hockey. Jim Crane makes every decision for the Houston Astros. Jim Crane made the decision that Joe Espada was gonna be the manager before Dana Brown was hired for whatever it is that Dana Brown does, which you call him the GM, I don't call him that. Jim Crane makes those decisions. But of course, every owner that does that tells the GM to make sure you say in the press conference that you had full autonomy, that you did it all, because I don't want to be looked at as the meddling owner. That's page four of the owner's playbook. Dana Brown, like a good soldier, was sure to say during the press conference that Jim Crane let him lead the charge. And it was a refreshing change of pace. You think that that's not what Jim Crane wants the narrative to be? Would you just give me one small break, please, Dana, one time? There is no managerial search that does not involve an owner. Not one in all of baseball. There is not one owner who doesn't have the final say and the most important say about who the manager is going to be. Not one. Why do owners think that we're all stupid? They think, but by having the GM say that, hey, it was all them and they're not involved, that we'll say, oh God, what a great owner, he's not involved. Who's falling for that? I'm not. Meanwhile, it's a good decision by Crane, and I'm not saying it was a good decision by Brown because it wasn't made by Brown. Good decision by Crane. A spot is gonna be a great manager. He has the exact temperament. He has the knowledge. He has the ability to deal with the front office and with the players. He's capturing the Astros potentially toward the end of this historic dynasty window. They've got free agents to be in Bregman and in Altuve at the end of next season. 
You saw that they lost in seven games trying to get back and repeat as World Series champions. It will be very hard for Joe Espada to have the success that A.J. Hinch had or that Dusty Brown had. Dusty Baker, excuse me. A.J. Hinch and Dusty Baker. Have I been calling him Brown the entire time? Obviously, I mean Dusty Baker. So the question is, how should we judge Joe Espada as manager? And the answer is that he will be judged according to the current results of the team because everything he accomplished as this amazing bench coach, when you get promoted, we wipe it away like it didn't even happen. It's so horrible. In, in the regular working world, when you work your way up and you've done a whole bunch of things, like you're in a pharmaceutical company, you've developed a whole bunch of pills, and then you all of a sudden go to the C-suite, you're remembered as the guy who developed and did what you sold. Oh, you're the best salesman ever. You're the best chemist ever. In sports and in baseball, it doesn't work that way. Oh, you were a great bench coach. You get a pass for being a bad manager. Nope. Oh, we loved you as a bench coach. We love you. You are a fabric of our organization. Oh my God, our team's losing even though we're rebuilding because we need to because our run is over. You're taking the blame. It's the exception, not the rule when a manager gets to see a rebuild through to the other side. Brandon Hyde is that exception in Baltimore. Another former coach of ours. Wow, we've got a pretty good coaching tree, don't we, Coca? If we looked back at all of our coaches and what they've become and are they still there? Rick Krantz was our pitching coach. He's still a pitching coach. I think we could do a coaching tree to be pretty good. Welcome to Houston, Joe. You have a lot to live up to. Nothing personal pick of the day. How did the three-way parlay go? Did the Celtics win? Yeah. Did the Bucks beat the Bulls? Hell yeah. Did the Bills beat the Broncos? God dang it. We lost a parlay because of 12 men on the frickin' field. Is that the definition of a bad beat? Because I'm pretty pissed off, I must admit to you. I was counting my chickens. That goes wide right. I'm thinking we got ourselves a win, baby. But Joe Buck says there's a flag on the field. No problem, it's against them. Offside, something, Broncos must have done something. Then the umpire, referee, excuse me, puts his hands on his head and I plotzed. For those of you who know, that's 12 men on the field. That's five yards, redo the down, they get another chance to kick. Seriously, seriously. He's not gonna miss from 36 after having just missed from 41. It's the anti-foul home run ball that's hit during an at-bat where there was one exception during the playoffs when that player hit a foul ball home run and then a real home run the next pitch. 99 times out of 100, you hit a foul ball home run, you strike out, ground out, you make out, the bad kind. It's opposite when you get another chance to kick field goal, but from five yards closer, you're gonna hit it. And we lost because of that. So we're 167 and 166, having lost two bets yesterday. We got one bet tonight, Tuesday. We've got the eight and two Dallas Mavericks giving three and a half to the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson. The Mavs are eight and two. The Pelicans are four and six. Pelicans are 10th place in the West. The Pelicans stink. The Mavericks, I hate to say it. We'll see how long it lasts with Kyrie and Luka. Though I still like my Luka way to see will win a world championship before Trey Young. I still like that way to see from a few years ago. But Zion Williamson did something yesterday 
that if you are a Pelicans fan or a Zion fan, you have a real problem right now. Coca, can you play me the Zion Williamson sound, please? Said last year, you know, we had a team meeting and it was brought up some things that I could do better, especially like with buying into the program. And right now it's tough right now, but like I said, right now I'm taking a little back seat right now. And I'm, uh, I'm trusting the process. I'm trying my best to buy it right now. First of all, does he sound out of breath to you? And I don't want to say anything in case he has some sort of condition or asthma or something. Or did he just finish a workout, but he wasn't schwitzing. He sounds totally out of breath. And when you do PR training for people and you teach them how to breathe, how to speak, have your brain ahead of your mouth. Anyway, he sounded a little strange, but I'm much more focused on what he said. Uh, trusting the process and buying in. He's, Coco, what did he say exactly? He's buying in? He wants to buy in? Buy into what? What process is he referring to? Is he talking about the team meeting when everyone called him out because he was fat and not working hard? Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. He's having the epiphany now that he never is healthy, never plays a full season, and that the Pelicans signed him to that huge deal through 2027-28 that they're regretting, that the standing ovation the ticket sales group gave when he was drafted and they got the number one pick instead of John Morant, no great shakes. Zion Williamson, yeah, he's averaging 21. That's really fantastic. Way to go. He is not the cornerstone of a franchise. He is not a championship piece. What right does he have to take the podium and say that he's trusting the process and that he wants to try harder to buy in? Here's me as GM of the New Orleans Pelicans. Hey, Zion, I don't give a flying rat's pituitary gland whether you buy in. Get your butt on the court. Why don't you play a full season and then we'll worry about your buying in? I'm not treating you with kick gloves anymore like the superstar. Why exactly are you a superstar? What have you done to merit being a superstar? You're not a superstar. It's time for a reality check here, Zion. The reality check is you're one of the guys. We thought you'd be the guy, but right now you're a guy. You could be the guy again, but the guy doesn't take the podium out of breath. The guy doesn't take the podium and talk about, hey, you know, I'm just trusting the process. I'm gonna to try to buy in as much as possible if I can. You make it sound like a bunch of incompetence and you make yourself sound like a total malcontent. I want you sitting in front of the press and saying, what an unacceptable start to the season for us to be four and six. My job is to lead this team by example, and I'm gonna show them that I'll be on the floor this entire season, even though we know that that won't happen. And it's my job to show them what work ethic is, to show them what it is to be in shape, to show them what it is to care. I'm the captain now. So many things Zion could have done, but say that in a media availability, it just makes no sense to me. Therefore, it's causing me to give you a wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. And if it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. Wait to see. Zion Williamson will not finish his current contract with the Pelicans. His contract runs through 27-28. No, I'm not announcing an extension with Metalark. No, I'm not guaranteeing you that nothing personal will be around in 27-28, but it will. 
and we'll revisit it when he's no longer on the Pelicans. It's so funny, the whole concept of buy-in. Haven't you ever heard GMs or presidents talk like that? Oh, it's so important that we have buy-in throughout the organization. What makes us good is the organizational buy-in. The players every day at practice, they're buying into the philosophy. The number of times that I said to players over 18 years, hey, would you really be a sweetheart and buy in? Zero. I don't care. I don't need them to buy in. I need them to do their job. That's it. If we need you to get runners over, get them over. We need you to get them in, get them in. You're supposed to take the ball every five days, take the ball every five days. You're supposed to run the offense that we're putting into the game plan in basketball, run the offense. Take care of your body. Stay away from drugs, guns, women, men. Do your job. Oh, Zion, it would really be super sweet if you'd buy in. What player gets that conversation? We do have the meeting with players without the media present where we talk about leadership. Leadership does not require buy-in. It requires fake buy-in. There's a big difference. Whether you actually agree with what we're doing in the front office is not relevant to me. If you're gonna be a leader, you are gonna not be the clubhouse lawyer. You're not gonna be the shit disturber in the clubhouse. You're gonna be the one who's in the clubhouse saying, hey, they know what they're doing, let them do their job, let's do ours. That's what a leader does. Is it fake? Some of the best things in life are fake. Fake buy-in. That is what's required. Have I ever asked a player to fake buy-in? You bet you're bippy. And you know how I did it? You go sit with the player, never call them to your office, always go to them. You say, listen, we're gonna have to be doing the following three things. I didn't get the sales done the way I needed to. Our payroll's gonna be going down. I just wanted to explain it to you, just so you're aware of why we're doing what we're doing. And if they buy in because of what you said, if they lead in the clubhouse because of what you said, those are the people you want to invest with. If they take that information and they say, wow, what a bunch of jerks up there. They're terrible at what they do. Let's hate them. Let's create a division between the front office and the locker room. That's the type of leadership you don't want. But when you're talking to a player about buy-in, what you really mean to say is it's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.